Hello everyone. Welcome to now what is Wednesday Bible study. I changed it from a Monday to a Wednesday. Now we've been doing it Monday since the beginning, but we've had to change it because I homeschool one of my children and the school that we're associated with online has now decided that they're doing their big parent meeting every Monday at the same exact time we would be doing the Bible study. So I've had to just roll with the punches and and make it Wednesday Bible study, but it shouldn't be difficult because you can watch everything on catch up. Um, if it's, you know, if Wednesday's not your usual time to be able to watch Bible study. Anyway, I'm just so glad you can join with us now because we've been in the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter five, and we've been talking about the Beatitudes. And I don't know about you, but I was talking with my husband, Andy, uh, just this morning. And I was saying, you know, I don't know how I got through my whole life up to this point without ever really looking deeply at the Beatitudes because they are literally changing my life and challenging me and um, just helping me to rethink what my Christian life looks like because that's what Jesus was telling us in the Beatitudes. He was saying, this is what the life of one of my followers is going to look like or should look like. Um, he's not saying this is how you must be saved. What he's saying is once you are a follower of Christ um, and you are, you know, you have Christ already in your life, so he's already done the work, this is now what it should be looking like. And he talks about it and he talks about what we call it the Beatitudes, which comes from a Latin word. We've talked about this from the very beginning. So if you go back to the very first one from Matthew 5, um, we talk about this, just a quick recap. But the, the word Beatitude comes from a Latin word, Beatus, which means blessed, which is um, Jesus begins each one of the Beatitudes with, um, you know, blessed are, and then he goes to say the attitude that is the blessed attitude. Um, and also what my husband and I talked about today as we were just discussing this uh, sermon of Jesus was that Jesus was telling his followers how to live a blessed life, how to live because the word blessed means happy in, in Hebrew. Um, and it also comes with this with this idea in the in the Hebrew um, and in the Greek of, of just living a larger life, being enlarged, having bigger thinking, um, the thinking of God, taking our small thinking and and letting the thoughts of God come into our into our into our mind and into our spirit, which we then live an enlarged life, so a blessed enlarged life. And Jesus is telling us how to have that kind of life. Who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to be happy? I don't know anyone if you'd say, do you want to be happy or sad your whole life? I think pretty much everyone I know would say, I want to be happy. And here Jesus says again and again, and again blessed are, and goes on and on to say what the blessed person will, will be like, what will, they will have in their life. And he's telling us how to have a life that's filled with happiness that, that's from him. Okay. Um, and the Beatitudes are part of a sermon, a very famous sermon that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you would have heard about it. And that's God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us coming down and giving us a sermon. Now, if I were to put it on social media, let's say this could happen. Um, God is going to come down today and, and he is going to give a sermon. God himself is going to come and give a sermon to all his followers, to Christians all over the world. And you could all catch it on, you know, whatever channel, blah, blah, blah. Imagine we would all be tuned into that sermon. Well, 
This is that sermon because Jesus was fully God as well as fully man. And he came down in the flesh and he gave us a sermon. And what a sermon. It is the sermon of sermons, you know. And as I look at it more and more, I see the genius of it, the beauty of it. And I think, why have I not looked at this as deeply as I am now in the past? What, what have I been waiting for? I don't know. But we're doing it now. So better late than never. Okay. Um, so quick recap. He begins each beatitude with blessed are, right? And then he goes on to tell them, his followers, uh, his followers who followed him up the side of the mountain there to hear his sermon. And, and he's telling us, too, because he knew this would be recorded for, for eternity in the scriptures, for us to see his followers in the future, us. Um, and he's talking about the benefit or the blessing of being some someone who is his follower and who lives in with this particular attitude, you know, with, with the different attitudes that he talked about, you know, poor in spirit, those who mourn, you know, all the different ones. Um, and notice this, that the blessings that come from, from the life that he's saying that we should exemplify are not for one day in the sweet by and by, like in eternity. Yeah, when I when I leave this world. They're not. But they're blessings that are for here and now in this life. Beautiful. Okay. So today we are looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. And it is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, wow. Okay. So what did Jesus mean when he said pure of heart? What did that mean? What what did he mean by that? You know, and I think just hearing it cold, like if a Christian, especially a new Christian or someone who doesn't know the word very well, they would hear this, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They would say, maybe even get a niggly feeling, maybe not say it out loud, but think it inside that, you know, well, that's not me. I'm not pure of heart, you know. And they would think about, they would exclude themselves because, you know, I had a bad thought this morning or, you know, I kicked the cat or, you know, you know, the different things I said something to while I was driving, I got angry and I, you know, I said something to the other drivers and, you know, and they will, they will just, they will just, um, say, uh, no, that's not me. Uh, I'm, I'm not that one. I'm not the pure in heart, you know? Um, but, but listen to this. When we first get saved, when we, we give our heart to the Lord and say, I need Jesus and I want my sins forgiven. I want to live a life for Christ, right? You know that we get a brand new, clean heart when we come to Christ. Brand new, brand new when we ask forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness he's the one who cleans our heart and makes us pure and fresh and like you know clean also from the old testament ezekiel 36 26 and this was um a prophecy of what would happen of what god's desire was um he you know he wanted uh the people to um not do uh, what he was asking them to do out of duty, but it was always because he wanted it to be from their heart, from a heart of love. Um, but it was never that way, was it for the people? Very few uh, followed 
God because of, of, of love from the heart. It was always down to, you know, duty and this is how we do it. And, and we follow these rules, you know, and sometimes they didn't even know why anymore. They followed the rules. They just, well, this is the way we do it. You know, there was no heart in it, but Ezekiel 36, 26 was God's desire. And this is what he wanted. And this is what we have now. And I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a brand new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He takes that old stony heart out and he doesn't just try to repair that old one or, you know, put some emollient in it and give it a good, you know, rub. He just takes that old stone out and inside he puts a soft, beautiful new heart. And that's what happens at salvation to us. Okay. And when I was looking online and in different places for what does purity of heart mean? What do other people say, other other theologians and, and, and people of God? And I heard one man speak about it in very simplistic terms. This isn't going to be my only definition, but I just, I liked the simplicity of this. It says, he said this, he said, basically you have a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and they want to do right. Um, he or she has a very deep desire at the very core of their life to live a life that pleases God. And so, you know, they know very well that they're imperfect people and that they won't always get it right. And they also know that it's going to be difficult to follow after God and do everything right, if not impossible, right, to, to try to live right all the time. But because they love God, they will try. And of course, we know that trying just in and of our own natural strength is not good enough, but it's got to be with the help of the Holy Spirit. But that person at the core of who they are just simply loves God and wants to please him and wants to live right. They have this desire at their very core to live right. Um, so by this explanation definition, purity of heart is the desire at the core of a Christian to want to live a life that pleases God. And out of this desire then springs that person endeavoring to try to do what's right. And I like that de definition because it's simple. It's honest. They know they'll sin at times. They're not perfect because they're human and they mess up. We all will. We all, we all do now, now and again. But, but really there's a desire not to live a sinful lifestyle, even if, if we mess up now and again, and we will. But at the heart of who we are, we do not want to live a sinful lifestyle or, or live a life that displeases God. So purity of heart is not about being flawless and never doing or thinking a wrong thing, but it has to do with the attitude of the heart. And with God, just know this, it's always about the heart with God. God works in our life, in our lives, when he works in our lives, it's always from the inside out and not the other way around, not from the outside in. You know, it makes me think of King David when, um, when he sinned and boy, did he sin. He sinned a big sin when, um, he had the husband of someone he was lusting after and, and had a relationship with Bathsheba. She, he even had, um, uh, Bathsheba's husband killed so that he could continue to have a relationship with this Bathsheba and, you know, that it could just keep going on with no troubles. So he, there was murder, um, there was lust, there was, you know, uh, he, he was having a relationship with a married woman. Um, and then at the end of it, when, when he realized that he'd sinned, 
He prayed this prayer and it's in the Psalms. Create in me, it was is a prayer to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now this is David, a man who lived under the law, praying about his heart and saying, create in me a, a clean heart. God, clean me from the inside because that's where the filth is. That's where the wrongdoing started in the heart. Even he acknowledged that. You know, and there are, there are different types of Christians. You know, there are some Christians who would say, who live this sort of way that say, how can I get, a, how much can I get away with as a follower of Christ? You know, how far away from God can, can I be and still be a Christian? You know, and this person, it, for this person, it's more about how much they can please themselves, but still live as a Christian. So it's in effect, how far away from God can I get, but still technically say I'm a Christian, okay? But then there's this other attitude of people who are Christ followers that say, how close can I walk with the Lord? Not how far away, not how far can I be from him or, or how much can I get away with, but actually how close can I walk with God? Can I get closer? Can I know him more? There's this, it's almost this, um, oh, it's almost this, inside this, this nagging feeling that I want to know him more. I want to, I'm not this, it's almost a dissatisfaction with not knowing him enough that I know there's more and I want more. And we talked about this, uh, when we talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that it says that they will be satisfied and you do, but then it's this ongoing I want more. I want more because I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good and I desire more. So it's this dissatisfaction, but God is faithful and he immediately satisfies you. So it's like this ongoing, I want more. I'll give you more, he says. He gives you more, but then you want more, you know, because he's just so good. And on this side of eternity, it's like, you know, it's like what the scripture says. We see him. We can have intimacy with him. But it's like through a glass that's a bit darkened. So we can have, we can see God. But it's like through a darkened glass. And something of the Christian always wants to see beyond that darkened glass. We want more of him. We want to get closer. How close can I get to you, God, in this life? Even with this flesh on us, how close can I get to you, God? It's like that other prayer of David or that, that other Psalm of David where he said, better is one day in your house, oh God, than a thousand elsewhere. You know, it's that, oh God, I want to know you more. Okay. I think Poppy's going to have a little bark here. No, she's not. Okay. Good girl. Somebody came in through the door. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Would it even be one of these Bible studies if Poppy didn't interject just a little? Okay, um, here we go. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, the heart. The Bible speaks so much about the heart. So it's important that we define what the Bible means by the heart. No, it's not. It's funny because today as, um, uh, you know, I know we, we have this month in February. It's, it's Valentine's Day, isn't it? And it's all about the heart, you know, that little weird shape that doesn't even look like an actual blood pump. But, you know, why do we call it the heart? And why is, when we talk about Valentine's Day, is it all about the heart? Because with Valentine's Day, it's all about love and I love you. Where does that love come from? It comes from our heart, right? Well, what does the Bible mean by heart? It's, it, 
The Bible means this, our inner man, who we are on the inside, our mind, our will, our soul, our understanding, um, some other things, our determination of will, our conscience. These are all things where we feel that the, that um, speak of the heart, our character, our seat of appetites, our seat of emotions and passions. That's what's meant by the heart, according to the Bible. Now, I looked up, I just looked up the question, what does it mean to be pure of heart? And I found this beautiful online article by a, a source called Got Questions, and it gave me this information. And it says the Greek word for pure in the Bible, especially Matthew 5, 8, that word pure, is katharos, all right? And it means to be clean, blameless, unstained from guilt. Now, interestingly, um, this word can refer specifically to that which is purified by fire or pruning, okay? So fire, we all know what fire is, right? And pruning, maybe you don't know what pruning is. Uh, pruning is like when a gardener um, goes out into their garden and they take their pruning shears, which are like very strong scissors, and they go up to a tree or a bush and they look at all, they look over the bush and they see which part of the bush is not looking alive. And they cut away any bits that look dead or that are not producing greenery and fruit. And they cut away, they cut, cut, cut all the dead off because what they want from that tree or that bush is they want it to thrive and to live and to produce fruit and to grow beautiful and lush and green. And the only way to do that is to cut away the dead bits. So that's what pruning is. Now let's speak about the fire bit, okay? Now in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 11, I believe it is, thereabouts, it says, I bet. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist talking. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And who, does, who is he speaking of? He's speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay? So John the Baptist was talking about this, of when what Jesus wanted to do. You know, John was baptizing in water for repentance, but he says, there's one coming and he is going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, remember, John's baptizing so that people are repenting of their sins and they're being baptized to say to the Lord, I am sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for not seeing it your way, God, and doing it my way, right? But he was prophesying and saying, there's one coming that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he is going to bring fire to the life. And what does fire do? Well, let's look at Proverbs 25, 4 through 5. This is what, what was going to happen when that Holy Spirit and fire was going to come on. But I'm looking at the Proverbs to show you this. Okay, Proverbs 25, 4 through 5. Take away the dross. From the silver. Now, what is the dross? The dross is all the impurities, all the things that don't make it beautiful and shiny. We, when we want silver, we want beautiful, shiny silver, don't we? Our jewelry to be just, just our reflection. We want to be able to see our reflection. Well, if they took the metal that was silver um, and they didn't get the dross out of it, all the impurities, it would not be beautiful and shiny. So it says, take away the dross from the silver and the smith, meaning the silversmith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Well, the first part of that verse, especially. 
the the silversmith wants to make something a vessel maybe a beautiful cup or a beautiful some jewelry or something beautiful from the metal that he's working with in particular silver right here and the only way to make something that is useful and something that is beautiful is for them to to get the impurities out of the silver well how do they do that okay well this is how they do that this is how a silversmith or a metal worker would do that the tiny burning particles coming out of the molten, molten gold or silver, depending what they're working with, are called dross. Dross is defined as the mass of solid impurities floating in molten metal. So what happens is they heat that metal up. They put fire under that metal. And what happens is the dross, all the impurities come and they rise to the top and it's all over it. And it's the silversmith has to take all of that dross out because the dross has no value and actually devalues the metal that he's trying to work with. So he takes it out to make that metal pure. The dross has to be removed. It just has to be all taken out um, so that the molten metal is then made pure. And you know what? God wants to make us pure like precious metal. And that's what the Holy Spirit and fire is all about when he talks about that. Fire is not just, you know, just some terminology to just talk about, ooh, you know, God comes in your life and you shine, you know. <laughs> you do, you do. He puts a light into our lives, you know. He really does. You know, he turns the lights on where the lights were off. He brings light to a dark place. It definitely speaks of that. But fire is also about purifying and cleaning us up and making us useful to the master by removing the things from our lives that are junk. He wants to get the junk out, the dross, okay? So purity of the heart, like purity of silver to the silversmith, makes something beautiful and useful to our lives, to God. And he can do that through fire. Okay, pruning. We talked a little bit about what pruning is. Now, John 15, famous chapter in the Bible where Jesus speaks about God as the master gardener and he is the vine and we are the branches that are in the vine, right? And Jesus speaks of our lives in the vine and that the master gardener prunes us, I talked about this, and takes all the unfruitful bits away so that we can grow fruit in our lives. And he goes on to speak to his disciples, saying to them, to as he just looks over at his disciples, who he's been ha having times with and speaking to and talking about the things of God with them. And he looks at them as he's talking about this, about the pruning that goes on. And he looks at them and he says that, oh, you've already been pruned or made clean by the words that he's spoken to them. Okay. Um, the word Jesus used in that scripture in John 15, where he looks at his disciples and says, oh, you've already been cleaned by, by the words that I've spoken to you. The word there is that same word for purity, which is katharos, which is to be made clean, to be pruned. So John 15, 3 says, already you are clean, katharos, because of the word that I've spoken to you. You know, the word of God has that ability to purify and to clean us. So, and let's also look at this because it's about the same thing. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is a really sharp sword on this edge and on the bottom edge as well. So when it goes down, it cuts. And when it goes up, it cuts, okay? 
and it pierces the word of God to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, the word of God, as we hear the word of God, as we allow the word of God, whether we're hearing preaching or whether we're in a Bible study or whether we're reading it for ourselves and we're reading these words of God and we're letting the word, words that we're, we're reading affect our lives and change us. And even the things that hit us and go, whoa, I don't know. Wow, that's heavy. I have to think about that a bit. That that's the word of God, like a sword coming into our lives and cutting away the dead things that we don't need, cutting the junk out of our lives, helping us to see where we couldn't see before because he's cutting all the old junk. He's pruning us with the word of God. Okay. And he also speaks, the scripture speaks in Ephesians 5, 26 of being washed with the water of the word. Okay. Again, that same word washed. There is the word, um, catharizo. Um, but it's from the same word as catharos, catharos and catharizo. They're from the same, uh, root word, which speaks of purity. So we are made pure by the, uh, with the water of the word when we're washed in the word. And Jesus was actually um, sorry, not Jesus. In Ephesians, this letter was a letter and it's speaking about how Jesus is going to present his bride, the bride of Christ to the father as a purified, beautiful bride washed with the water of the word. Okay. And that's who we are. We are the bride of Christ. And every time we're in the word and allowing the word to wash over our lives as we hear it, as we read it, we are being purified, our old, the, the dross of our thinking, the dross of our attitudes and actions of the heart are rising to the top. You know, he sets that little fire beneath us and, and, and it's like, we're like molten silver and gold and he's taken all the impurities out as we're, we're allowing the water of the word to wash us, to purify us. Okay, so those who are truly pure then are those who've been declared innocent because of the work of Jesus, the work that he's done. He's taken out that old heart. He's put a beautiful, clean, brand new, soft heart in us. And we're being sanctified by his refining fire and his pruning, which is an ongoing thing in our life. As long as we're alive, we're going to continue to have things in our lives rise to the top that aren't good thinking. I do it all the time, okay? I do it all the time. You do it all the time. We're human. We live in a human body. This, this, this body with all of its passions and, and, and desires. And they're not always good. And we are being constantly impacted and bombarded by, by culture, by our culture, which is not a godly culture at all. Every single day, the images we see, the things we hear, and it's not things we can even help. We're driving along, we see a billboard and there's half naked people on that billboard. We are, you know, just watching television and just an innocent show. And all of a sudden, someone in this show is just, you know, all the, the filthy language that's coming out. All of a sudden, you know, oh, you thought normally this show's so great. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, what's happening? But, you know, constantly it's the word of God that, that we implant within us as we study it, as we read it, as we see it, as in every way. That we say, you know what? I need to get that show out of my life. It's not good anymore. I need to shut that off. Or you know what? You know, there's things we can help and things we can't help. And the things that we can't help and that we're bombarded with every day. Thank the Lord for the word of God that we can put before our eyes every day. And we are washed with the word. Washed, made pure with the word of God. That's an ongoing thing. 
in our lives, that we are constantly being washed. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Okay. Um, so our purity, right, is not based on what we have done, but on what Jesus has done and what he continues to do in us as we come under his pruning and under the fire that he provides, that fire and that Holy Spirit fire that he provides for us. You know, we often think of pruning as painful, a terrible time in our lives. Um, we also think of fire, ouch, you know. But, you know, there's a point to pruning and to fire. Um, you know, in particular, the pruning. When the dead branches are cut away from our life, you know, let's say friends that um, do us no good and we either have to drop them out of our lives or just they just naturally drop out of our lives or doors don't seem to be opening for us or they're closing up in our lives and we think, what's that about? Opportunities closing up. You know, maybe they weren't the opportunities God wanted. Maybe they were not healthy for us. You know, we're confronted with parts of ourselves that we know we need to submit to God. Like I said, that every day we're confronted with things that we're bombarded with and, you know, we don't know that these things get into us. They get into our heart. You know, and that word of God comes to us. It challenges us. It refines us. It cleans us junk out of our lives. But ultimately, even though pruning and fire, we think of those as painful things. And maybe at the time when they are cut, things are cut out of our lives, maybe it is a little painful. But, you know, ultimately, the point is that it will, um, it will cause fruitfulness in our lives. So there's a point to the pruning, okay? Okay, more definitions of purity of heart. According to the Blue Letter Bible, I really like this. Um, in the, in the ancient Greek, the phrase pure of heart has this idea of straightness, almost like a straight road, honesty and clarity. There can be two ideas connected to this. Okay. One is of inner moral purity as opposed to the image of purity uh, or ceremonial purity. You know, it's like what I said before, God works from the inside out and not the other way around. So the, the first idea here is of inner purity. It's not just looking clean on the outside, but it's God doing a work in our heart and it, we're cleaned from the inside. So it's not just about the image of purity, all right? Also, remember when Jesus was telling religious people off and he called them something and he said, you are whitewashed tombs, it means you look all clean on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones, you know? Something about the inside is not right, and that's the part where God looks at, okay? Something's not right inside the heart. You look all clean on the outside, but you're not on the inside. That The second idea of purity of heart is of a single, undivided heart. Um, those who are utterly and sincerely, uh, utter and utterly sincere, sorry about that, and not divided in their devotion and their commitment to God. So an undivided heart in their devotion and commitment to God. Okay, there, I said it in one piece without stuttering. Okay, so like as in the scripture about the dross, I talked about being removed from the silver, all the impurities were removed, leaving only that pure metal. In that sense, purity means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated, and it's applied to the heart, the idea that of a, of a pure motive, of single-mindedness, undivided devotion, spiritual integrity, and this tr that which is true righteousness. Okay, it's not that I'm just clean on the outside. I'm going to make sure I do right so everyone thinks I'm right. But it's actual true righteousness, which comes from the inside out. Okay, this idea of single-minded, undivided devotion to God. 
let's discuss a little more the importance of the heart in scripture. Okay. What is the heart? Okay. We talked a little bit about what the heart is. It's that inner man, that mind, the will, uh, the soul, the understanding, the seat of all of our passions and our character, um, our conscience, our inclinations, um, all those things represent the heart. Um, and the scripture actually speaks of how important the heart is, okay? It's so important. Let's just look at a few scriptures, okay? First of all, the heart before we know Jesus, before salvation, it says this in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? You know, that's that's what our heart is before we give it to Christ and before he gives us that new soft heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Okay. I love this idea of your heart as being that the wellspring of every other part of your life. It's almost like it's the head office for every other thing in your whole life. And it springs from where your heart is. And that's why it says to keep your heart with all vigilance. Watch your heart. Watch what's going on in your heart. Luke 6:45 The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil isn't it interesting evil treasure we always think as treasure is ooh beautiful and good but we could have evil treasure as well as good treasure so that the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks What's going on in the heart is going to come out through the lips. You are going to know you can't keep a beach ball down underwater. Neither can you keep what is in the heart from coming out the mouth eventually. Okay, this one's really interesting. And this is when the prophet Samuel went. He was told by God, go to the house of Jesse and I want you to anoint the new king. So he goes to the house of Jesse and this is when he's going to, well, God wants David anointed as king, but he's got many brothers and David's, you know, the little squirt of all the brothers. He's not the most handsome. He's not the tallest. He's not, he's actually the little red one. <laughs> it says the little ruddy one with like curly hair. And I just think of this little kid sitting there like, you know, while all his big strapping lads of brothers are all standing there. And boy, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not, do not, and because you see Samuel, the prophet looked and, and saw the brother Eliab and he thought, I know it. He's the one. Look at that strapping lad. He's the one who's going to be the, the king of Israel. Yeah, definitely him. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. I don't want Eliab. He's not the one. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, do you see why purity of heart would be important? Because no matter what you look like on the outside, it's actually what's the heart that God sees immediately. When he looks and sees all of, the, all of creation and all of people, he sees a heart. He doesn't see your beautiful hair. He doesn't see your amazing makeup. He doesn't see your big beautiful muscles in your six pack or lack of a six pack. What he's looking at and he sees immediately is the heart. That's what God sees, okay? And every time, that's what God sees. Okay, so like I said, it's the heart that is the head office of the outliving of our entire life. 
Um, and that's why being undivided and single-minded in our devotion to God is so important, right? And that's why of all the brothers, God said, David, he's the one. You know why? God looked at the heart and he said, this man, it actually says in the scripture that um, what he said of David, the Lord said of David, this man does everything I ask of him. He's a man after my own heart, my own heart again. Why? Because God was always looking at the heart. Okay. And when, it, when I think of that, it makes me straight away think of this other Psalm, Psalm 24, verses three through six. Okay. You're going to recognize this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure and do not worship idols. I'm going to stop right there. That's at verse four of Psalm 24. Notice that the one whose hands and hearts are pure are the ones who do not worship idols. Notice that a pure heart, again, this undivided heart that worships God alone, no idols. God alone, you know, and I know we often think idols. Oh, in the old Testament. Yeah. They used to take gold, melt it down, make little animals and worship. Yeah. People do did that then. But nowadays, you know, we still have idols in this life. We could make our car an idol. We can make our phone an idol. We can make, um, our social media. We can make our family an idol. We can make our money an idol. It's endless. The things that you could put on the throne of our lives. And push God off. The, the things that we think are more important. The things that we love the most. The things that we cherish the most. And, and, and we think are the most important things in our lives. We still have idols in our lives today. But the undivided heart. The pure heart. The one with the pure heart. The one that this scripture says. Who can come into the presence of the Lord? Who can climb his mountain? Who can stand in his holy place? The one whose hands and heart are pure who do not worship idols. You know, even in this day and age, we can have idols. And I'm not saying for anyone else to say, yeah, he's got idols. I definitely know my, my husband, he's got idols. Or my wife, she's got idols. Let's look at our own lives, okay? And let's, let's judge our own lives and say, do I have idols in my life? Do I have things that I put on the throne before I worship God? Let's ask ourselves that. Okay, the pure heart has an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. Um, and it's more than external purity. Like I said, it's not from the outside in. It's not just because we look all pure and clean from the outside. But it's about that internal purity of the soul. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at who is on the throne in your heart. Does that person have idols? You know, because it's, you have things in your heart that are things that you put before the Lord, you know, and a divided heart. If you've got a divided heart, you're not going to be able to come into the presence of the Lord and just be free to come before his throne because you're bringing a lot of, you, you actually are not, the throne room that you're seeing, that person who's got an idol is, that's the throne room to you. That's what you think. Oh, the throne room is my bank account. You know, the throne room is, is, is the beautiful leather seats inside my, you know, my, my, uh, Mercedes or whatever you drive, you know, whatever. But you know, when we want to come into who can come into the presence of the Lord, it says, but he, those who have clean hands and a pure heart, you know, is the Lord on the throne in your life. Don't bring idols. If there's idols in your life, you know what? It's not a big deal. Throw them off and just say today, 
I want the Lord on the throne. I'm going to put my trust in him. My trust, I don't want my trust in finances. I don't want my trust in my stuff. You know, I want my trust in the Lord. Okay. Now let's talk about the blessing that comes for the one who is pure of heart. The blessing for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Who doesn't want to see God? All right, me, I want to see God. You know, who wants to see God? I know that if you are watching this Bible study, you are the ones who want to see God. We want to see him. You know, I talked about it before, that scripture that says, in this life, we can have relationship with God, but it's in this life, because we are in this flesh, because we are in this natural world. It is like seeing him, but through a glass, darkly. He's there, but, you know... That's the way it is in this world. And when, when we're freed from this world and we go to be with him in eternity, that dark glass is done away with. And we'll see him face to face. Okay? But the blessing is for they shall see God. I'm going to read again that Psalm 24 that I just read about. Who can come, who can climb the mountain of the Lord except those with clean hands and a pure heart? Let me go now to verses 5 and 6. Okay? This is for those who have the clean hands and the pure heart. This is what the blessing is, and in, in we see it in Psalm 24. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. That's the blessing. For, just like Jesus is saying in, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, the ones without the idols, the one who has an undevoted, I mean, an undivided devotion, sorry, undivided devotion to God, that they will see God. Just as in that same way, Psalm 24 says that those who have the pure heart, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. The one who is pure in heart, who has this undivided heart and devotion to God, gets the blessing of deep intimacy with him in this life. Not in the life to come, you know, in eternity. One day, yes, I'll see him. One day, I'll be there. I'm going to skip through fields of daisies with Jesus. Yes, you will do that in eternity. But let me tell you, you get the blessing of being in an intimate love relationship with him now in this life for the pure in heart when you have that undivided devotion for him with no idols in your life no idols on on that throne only jesus okay i'm going to read this beautiful quote that i got from the blue letter bible by a, a theologian whose surname is pool and it's this this is what this man said of, of this scripture for though no mortal eye can see and comprehend the essence of god yet these men meaning christians shall by an eye of faith see and enjoy God in this life, though in a glass more darkly, and in the life to come, face to face. That's the blessing, guys, that in this life, we get to have an intimate relationship. We do not have to wait till we step out of our bodies one day to be in a relationship with God. You can have that now. And eternity will just be an extension of that. And yes, amazing in ways that eyes have not seen nor have ears heard, it says in the scripture. But oh my goodness, the intimacy and the blessing that you will experience in this life, 
you will see God. And I'm going to end with one more quote. Now, you know what? I had to read this quote. It's by C.S. Lewis, great writer, Christian writer. Um, and I had to read it a few times before I got the goodness out of it. And I read it and then I read it again. And then woof, it really came upon me. But C.S. Lewis says this, it is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God for only the pure in heart want to. Think about that, you know? Like I talked about those two kinds of Christians, the one who says, ah, how far away from God can I, can I get? What can I get away with? How could I get as far away from God doing what I want, my life really close to living like the world, but really technically I'm still a Christian. And then the other life that says, how close can I walk with God in this life? How close could I get to him, you know, with this flesh on? How could, you know, what depths can I get in this life to know God? You know, let's read that quote again. It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God. For only the pure in heart want to. To the pure in heart, the, I, the blessing of and they shall see God it just is, is the prize. It is the prize, you know, and really that is the prize. You know, it says, um, you know, it, it makes me think of in the old Testament, I'm ending it right here, that all the tribes of Israel got a cut of the land of the Holy land. It said, this part's going to go to this tribe, you know, the 12 tribes, and this part's going to go to this tribe. And this one gets this bit of the land and that bit, but it was the Levites. The Levites, he said, you know what? I'm the inheritance of the Levites, the priests. And you know what we are in today's, in, in today, what the scripture calls us? The scripture calls us the priests of God. It says we are the priests now. All of his followers, we are his priests, it says. The priests of the new covenant. And you know what? It's not any different today. Our cut of the inheritance is him. He's the prize to be in an intimate relationship with him. And I'll tell you right now that those who have, who seek God and have been in relationship with him and have had experience of him, because it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, have tasted and have seen as we've pressed into God, people who really, and I'll tell you right now, he is sweet. He is sweet and he's worth knowing. And, and as you get to know him, you want to know him more. And um, he's the prize, guys. He is. That relationship with God is the prize to see God. And that is what relationship is. That's what the prize is for us, to be in intimacy with him, to see God in this life. Well, enjoy your week and I will see you next week. God bless.